Evan Goverlow, North Dakota Watchdog Network. Thank you for joining the program here today. We had Texas yesterday, today North Dakota up in the Bakken, so we're going to find out a few energy-related bills. Went through North Dakota, of course, oil and gas companies always keeping their fingers on the pulse. A lot of, a lot of uh, emission management company flaring companies this year. And I would say in terms of if I'm just looking at the headlines, and this is why we bring it in Dustin Goverlow with North Dakota Watchdog Network, because he camps out there. He sleeps in the Capitol and the whole deal, so he's, he's a part of it. But it seemed to me like coal was the main main theme if you were going to name a theme for this year's session to me it seemed like coal and i'm not even talking from the energy side of things i'm talking from the overall legislative session so um that's just from the outside looking in you're on the inside there what what, what would you say was kind of the big theme coming out of the uh, north dakota legislative session we're all done right that's it's it's done now this year yep it's in the books in the can and uh the only thing left is uh, come back later this year for redistricting. Oh, they're coming back, huh? Yeah, it's because uh, every 10 years they have to redistrict after the census. And, yeah. Uh, so it'll be sometime probably in the fall. Okay. Yeah, they did quite a push. They spent a lot of money trying to uh, count every single person sleeping in a rain barrel and under a gutter and everything, man. That's, you know, each person's a lot of money from the Fed, so. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. They, when, when they run for office, they're against taking federal money, but when they're counting heads, they're all for it. Yeah, don't get me started on that, man. We're going to do, we're, we're do a leadership series, you know, because the oil and gas industry has gone through what's called the big cruise shift. And when I first got into this industry, a lot of the, uh, you know, heavyweights, the guys who are kind of either retired now or are, you know, symbolic chairman of the boards, basically. Um, they talked about how, you know, 75 to 90 percent of the industry was going to be like retired and completely new by 2022, 2023. Well, we're here. <laughs> we're here now. So uh, we're going to do a leadership series because, boy, it certainly seems like we got a whole new brand of accepted leadership out in the marketplace. So, um we might tap in to your uh, knowledge on that. You're, you've seen, you, you've spent a lot of time with all kinds of different appointed leaders and elected leaders, and as well as uh, you know, nonprofit and, and, and lobbyist and that whole vein of things. Because so much of that does make the world go round, and a lot of it's on the taxpayer dime. So that's what the North Dakota Watch. What is the North Dakota Watchdog Group's like official mission? What is it you guys are doing? Uh, we keep an eye on government. We, we keep or try to keep elected officials uh, uh, accountable to the people. We promote lower taxes, less government, less spending, more transparency, more citizen activism, and, and uh, oppose efforts by lawmakers to make the initiate measure process more difficult. Well, what came out of this this year's legislative session? I mentioned that I it, to me it seemed like there was a lot of uh, coal legislation this past session. But you know, for somebody who was on it uh, in there on a daily basis, what did you see? Well, they ended up passing the uh, proposed Clean Sustainable Energy Fund program, which is uh, twenty five million dollars to start. 
uh, it, and run by a lot of the uh, legacy coal and oil uh, industry leaders. It is that the, the concept that somehow by removing or reducing the CO2 from coal emissions and coal-generated power, that the states that have legally said that they will not buy such power will all of a sudden change your mind. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the provisions uh, were, were kind of wrangled in the last few days. Uh, it, it, after the first two years, it, that fund will have a direct legacy funding, legacy fund earnings formula for funding it. They also uh, gave that fund a $250 million line of credit at the Bank of North Dakota so that they can jump on big projects that they want to uh, throw money into. So they got, they got pretty much everything they wanted, plus some, some uh, tax abatement on uh, both the uh, coal conversion tax and the, the coal severance tax. So they got pretty much what they wanted. Uh, you know, now, who's they? There was not the coal industry. Okay, okay. The the the, the uh, players in the coal industry, like that Energy Council, uh, and and then that includes uh, Ron Ness with the Petroleum Council. He was advocating on their behalf with a lot of this because they ultimately believe that if they can sequester that CO two and pump it into the oil wells they can uh, use it to enhance their oil recovery and that will help reduce costs for the oil industry. And, and all of this is going to be on the back of taxpayers. So we're going, we're, we're, we're going to bail out coal and prop up oil and uh, the, the people are going to pay for it via the legacy fund, which is the legacy fund earnings, which is money that could be used in other ways to reduce taxes, but they've decided they're not going to do a lot of that. I emailed the Treasury Department and the Commerce Department about this legacy fund, and they, they said they don't know what, what's going on except for that they've allocated funds for it. And this was a few weeks ago, a month ago, that type of thing. So I, And I, I just thought it was weird that here they allocated these funds from the legacy fund, but they don't have any guidance or any guidelines yet but they it's it's almost like they know where the money's going now they just gotta figure out a way to sell it to everybody have they announced these uh, guidelines because the couple of people from the state i've reached out to they've and, and like i said the treasury department the commerce department they, they had no idea they, they didn't have anything to tell me well what do you got so that 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 was passed in uh, House Bill 1380, and I could pull that up here and give you a more educated. Well, uh, this was passed like a month answer. ago, wasn't it? Uh, well, it was passed in one chamber, but you know it's got to go through both chambers plus yeah. the uh, plus the good that needs to get uh, signed by the governor. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they, that was the the legacy streams bill. So there was there was 1431 was the plan to, to use the legacy fund, $100 million uh, every two years to pay for bonding out of the legacy fund. And then there's the other bill to directly appropriate uh, money out of the legacy fund to different purposes uh, and, and uh, 
uh, ensure that it goes to different areas. It's, it's, it's more buckets. You know, all these years, they, they just like to create more and more buckets, as they call them. And, um, oh, it's a, yeah, you call it buckets. It's a shell game to where the money just goes to the same people. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's all, I, that's all I'm wondering. Their language. Yeah. Because the legacy fund was supposed to be for the people. And when I started seeing um, the people that were writing the letters to the editor and all of a sudden, you know, the usual suspects started doing their, their check-the-box lobbyists and because there's no pushback from the media or anybody else, they get what they want. And I, I'm like, yep. this legacy fund has now changed. And normally, you know, they wait 10 years before they change something. This got changed in less than 10 years. Am I out of line for saying that? Because I, I haven't gone back into my research and, you know, the interviews and the whole lobbyist uh, stumping for the legacy fund when it passed. But for some reason, I don't think that the money where it's going is where it was intended to be. And I'm just going off my memory here. But is, is anybody else talking about that or am I just too soon, too fast? Uh, everybody's talking about this. And okay, Schaefer, good. I'm not, today, I, don't, I don't feel that far behind then. Okay. <laughs> Ed, Ed, Ed Schaefer just today was on Rob Port's uh, uh, podcast talking about just that issue. Uh, it was passed by the people in 2010. It was left open-ended, which was probably a mistake. Um, and, and now, uh, you know, the, the whole idea behind the Legacy Fund was to take 30% of all the oil tax funds, stick it away into a savings account, let it grow to a sizable amount, like $30 billion was always the target that I had heard. And then at that point, you can use a billion to a billion and a half a year in interest to offset other costs that are, over, that are currently being paid for by oil and instead use the interest off of the previously uh, generated funds. Now they are simply going to use it as yet another fund to grow government, to, to pay in some cases, paying for things that other taxes would have paid for. But even when they're doing that, they're not cutting any taxes for regular people. So the average person, other than, you know, people who benefit from the projects that the, those monies go to, is not are not going to see a lot of personal benefits. So people are still going to wonder, where's the money going? And when you've got a, a convoluted system where it, it's all designed like 30% of 25% of the earnings will go to this and 25% of 30% of the earnings will go to that, it, it, it's just a convoluted formula to divvy out the candy. And, and that's really what we're at is, is it's just another way to, um, to provide legislators with a way to bring home the bacon and, and to provide support. We're, we're getting into a more porkish system in North Dakota because we have all this money that is not a direct tax revenue uh, source. When it comes from interest on other money, they can say, well, we didn't raise any taxes for this, so we can spend it on whatever we want. Nobody can complain because this isn't their money anymore. And that's the attitude that they have. Yeah, it's quite an ecosystem they have built. You know? And it just seems like it gets bigger and bigger. And it's, uh, it's interesting, man, how, how a lot of this is going on. 
Oh, it just does anybody does nobody seems to mind in North Dakota, huh? So far, uh, people people don't pay attention because you know it's it's Republican supermajority, and as long as they have ours behind their name, the average person thinks that they're doing fine, unless it has to do with these cultural issues. You know, you you've got this culture war inside of the Republican Party right now. Yeah, what's going on with that, by the way? You mentioned something to me about how the rhinos and the elephants and the kangaroos are going at it or something. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, You've got, you know, for as long as I've been involved, there's always been the conservatives versus the establishment. We called them rhinos, but it was that that term was based off of fiscal issues Big spenders, we call rhinos. Now, now, what's rhino stand for? Rhino is Republican in name only. Republican in name only. Okay, we used to have a term like that at the church, uh, you know. And it's yeah. It, oh yeah, it was you know it started as Jezebel and you know Charlie Church and all that stuff, but then it eventually got to uh, they they go to church for marketing purposes. Looks looks good on there, you know, for, for marketing reasons. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, that, that's that that that's what it sounded like to me when you when you said Republican name only. I'm going okay for business reasons, for marketing reasons. The same reason why why people went to church for a lot of t- a lot of years. Yeah, okay, all right, go on. So you got Republicans in name only. Those are known as rhinos, and then you said the other ones were conservatives. Conservatives and 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 even the conservatives now are two different factions. They're. You've got the fiscal conservatives like me, and then you've got the cultural conservatives, uh, which are the Trump supporter types that want to that, that believe that we shouldn't worry about policy per se. We should only worry about opposing what the Democrats want and supporting what Trump and Trump supporters want. And this is creating this three-way civil war in the Republican Party, where. Uh, on it, it, there's really no unity. The only thing that unifies the Republican Party right now is the hatred for Democrats and and treating your own citizens and your own fellow citizens as if they're the enemy. And and this is part of the problem that we have in America right now. Why things are so divisive, and you know we got to get away from it somehow. But you know it, we need we need real leadership. We we need leaders that are not about themselves. That are not simply there for their own ego, uh, and and that are interested in creating sound public policy for the next twenty to fifty years. What about these buckets you're talking about? I mean, these buckets basically allow allow the establishment to control the marketplace. I'll tell you, man. You go yeah. down to Texas and Oklahoma, you'll open your eyes really quick what an entrepreneur is, very quickly, because. When you started talking about, you know, fiscal conservative, what, what does that even mean in North Dakota? I mean, seriously, how many real entrepreneurs has North Dakota produced? I'm not talking about government-funded entrepreneurs. I'm talking about legit entrepreneurs, but, you know, wildcats like the, old, like the Texas guys. That's a totally different type of an entrepreneur and a mindset than what I've seen my whole life. I grew up around egg, man. All these egg people, they get, they, they get checks from the government all the time. They're used to bailouts. Yep. I mean, the, the people down in that I met in Texas and in Oklahoma over the past decade, these are people that, I mean, they, they're putting their family heritage on the line for 
some oil well in the middle of nowhere, wildcat, and now it's all changed from then, but because they, they know where the things are. But it's a totally different. It's a different entrepreneur when you got to go out there and sing for your supper and go chase chase down uh, um, people to pay you instead of getting a check every two week, t- two weeks from the government. And that's that's what I mean. I don't get how the, there's a lot of these uh, uh, fiscal conservatives in North Dakota because. There's just not that many. There's there just not, there's not that. Well, Ed Schaefer, you mentioned Ed Schaefer. Seriously, to, outside of Ed Schaefer, how many self-made millionaires are there? Gary Theraldson? There's not too many. Not too many. But that's yeah, a there, different there topic. And, and, and even Ed Schaefer wasn't a self-made millionaire. Well, his, his dad he was, wasn't he? But his dad was. Yeah. Yeah, his, yeah, dad, his dad was. was. That's what I mean. Gary was, was a self-made. So, but, but yeah, the, the, the idea is, you know, people are fiscally Republicans are fiscally conservative until the industry that they are involved in or that they like the most needs the money, and then they're all about socialism for that industry. Well, that, that, that's where that I want to bring her back to coal because I mean, now you've got. I mean, listen, you know as well as I do, this was a concerted effort to to figure out a way to subsidize coal, and you know, and and to be fair to to the people in power. It it probably was for the best interest of the people when ninety percent of your power is dependent on coal, and I mean you know the the communication methods and the strategy of how how to you know make a means to an end is a different as a is, is what we're talking about and why we've got some criticism. But at the end of the day, I get where they're coming from, and that that that's fair, isn't it, Dustin? That they had to figure out some way to keep the lights on, right? Yeah, yeah, they did, and and that what the one thing that they are not willing to talk about is the fact that their own utility companies are the ones that did, did this to them. The, the XLs, the MTUs, all these utility companies that begged the federal government to give them these tax credits to, to put up the windmills, and now they've got them up, and the windmills are what are making coal obsolete. And that tied with laws in states like Minnesota where we sell the power to, they don't want the coal power. They're fine with, they want the wind power. So the, the companies that are involved in the industry did this to the industry itself. Their own tax uh, uh, planning strategies did this. And now the state of North Dakota is going to bail them out because they took the deal from the feds. And now they can't make it work anymore in North Dakota, and now they got they need more money here. So they get it from both sides of the equation, and and it's like it's like funding both sides of a war. Anything happened in the flaring emissions management that oil companies should probably be aware of? I believe there was a, uh, some some legislation passed that incentivized uh, the collection and and utilization of on-site conversion I thought so. systems. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not up to speed on that, though. Okay, no, no problem. I, I've had a few people email me about that because uh, they're getting the runaround from the state because there's supposed to be dollars available. And you know, you, you know what that means. <laughs> okay, sure, you bet. Uh, dollars available and tax credits, you, you got to do you got to spend the money before you can get the tax credit, though. So, yeah, they're waiting for somebody to 
to put in the initial dollars, they might be waiting a long time. Yeah, I know the buy-in's pretty large sometimes. Um, this legacy fund. Talk to me a little bit more about that. What? Because that that's that's primarily oil and gas money, isn't it? Yep, that's, it's entirely oil and gas money. Yeah, and so if if they're changing it up a little bit, I imagine this is gonna this is gonna be be a problem. This is gonna be a problem. Well, the problem is going to come when they have allocated the earnings for these special projects, and then the, the revenue from oil and gas tax to the general fund starts to decline, which of course it will. Uh, and and that money is no longer available to make up the difference because they're spending it on something else. So the problem with having a pile of cash is that. There's the everybody wants to spend it on their things. Now we're going to spend it on their things, and and it's not going to be there when we need to prop up the the, the rest of the budget. And so, the the whole point of the legacy fund was to either make sure that there are no future tax increases, or to reduce taxes long term. And at, if they spend it on things and dedicate long term uh, dollars out of it. Uh, then the money won't be there when we need it, and uh, we'll be right back where we started, and we'll, you know, we'll be have a situation where in twenty years we're going to need to start raising taxes again because they spent all the money and the oil's gone. Here's what bothers me: is that when I took a look at some of the things that have passed, first they tried to pass this this bill that said North Dakota is going to divest from any company that's involved with ESG. And that like passed, and then they then they had to not pass it because they realized they couldn't do that. Otherwise, you know, Chase, Chase, and JP, and all the banks would have left North Dakota. You know, everybody that had any money would have left, right? So they had to do. Yeah. Okay. Do yeah. you know what I'm talking about? It was it was something ridiculous like that, right? Yep. Yep. I it, it was exactly that, and they converted it into a study, and so it will be a study during the interim committee. They were told, I told them that, that it would be impossible to divest from every fund that is ESG oriented because uh, they all are. Yeah, but they don't and, want to and, listen to you. You're from the Watchdog Network. <laughs> yeah, you don't have facts. Right. You, you, yeah, all right. you are is a fly on the wall, or a, a, not a fly on the wall, a gnat. Fortunately, fortunately, some of the uh, finance people from the investment office also told them that. So... They heard it from more than just me, and, and that's how the thing got converted into a study. Right, their boss, their boss told it to them. Yeah, their boss did. Right. Um, so, right, the, the the person in leadership, right, their boss told it to them. Okay, so, um, what gets me is that 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 is so thematic of what I'm hearing, and when I get your emails and when I check you know, the different uh, updates from the different bloggers and different legislatures and that sort of thing. I'm seeing a theme here, okay? And this kind of this kerfuffle about not understanding the current reality of ESG and just just accepting and understanding and talking about ESG isn't an evil thing because what you want to do is you want to take control of the narrative of ESG before it gets too far out of, out of whack. Because right now, they're making an ESG score, all right? It's, it's already happening. 
And it's, it's going to be here soon. The carbon price debate wasn't even a week long. API came out and said, hey, we're thinking about doing a carbon tax. Nobody said a word except us and DEPA. I haven't heard, I didn't, I have not heard anyone in an oil and gas leadership role outside of Jerry Simmons with Domesticated Energy Producers of Alliance, Alliance or Jason Spies with The Crude Life, if you want to call us in there. We're not paid to do it, but we can throw ourselves in there. We're the only ones that came out with statements against it, uh, saying it's, it's kind, of, kind of a regressionary against the poor and middle class first, and it's not the best solution for what you're trying to accomplish. And all of a sudden, boom, we're done. All of a sudden, now we're just talking about carbon scores and when we're going to get to the next level. Okay, this ESG thing in North Dakota, now the Clean Sustainable Energy Fund, what you described to me does not sound sustainable. And the other example you just gave me with the Legacy Fund doesn't sound sustainable either. So it's almost like this last legislative session could be kind of looked at like they went away from sustainability and to now, I don't even know what you want to call it, because if it's not sustainable, what would you call it? Am I, am I out of line for that 5,000-foot view, by the way? No, no, you're not. And, and the, the folks on the environmentalist left call this greenwashing. Greenwashing, huh? Okay. Yes, yes, that's the, the catchphrase, where you do something in the name of looking like you're green, but you're not actually green. And, and that's the direction we're going. We're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. But and even, ex- even uh, on the sustainability uh, side on the legacy fund, they took away that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, on, on, the, on a lot yeah. of different levels, they're taking away the sustainability. That's why I think it's so interesting about not understanding what the ESG is because the ESG is just supposed to be a way to think outside the box so you can get sustainable. And yet North Dakota just, nope, we don't want to be at all. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. Sorry with your stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're you know, the, there's the GMO and anti-GMO people. Uh, we're, the, we're the lone anti-ESG entity. Like everybody else is chasing it. Uh, they want their scores higher so that they can be in parts of investment blocks. You know, you, you listen to uh, Kevin O'Leary, the guy from Shark Tank. He talks about how uh, he personally is heavily invested in coal, oil, gas, everything, but he will never pitch that in a meeting to outside investors because it's just not allowed anymore. And, and so this is what the state of North Dakota is trying to fight against. But guess what? In the, in the big scheme of things, of, of Wall Street and the global economy, uh, North Dakota is, is meaningless. We're a dot. You know, we, we, our, our entire GDP is a rounding error when it comes to what we're talking about. And, you know, they, they, the legislators and industry complain about BlackRock being such a big player and a monopoly. BlackRock controls 60% of the ETFs in the, in the uh, New York Stock Exchange, 60% of the entire invested value. Uh, they are a monopoly. And, and, but guess what? All of your investment funds, all your pension funds, all of the, the entire way that your, your legacy fund is invested in these things to give you the earnings that you're going around and, and squandering. So, 
uh, there's no way out of it because the 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 way that um, things have happened, and, and frankly, uh, a lot of this is because of deregulation of investment such, and, and you know which party was for deregulation for all these years, right? It wasn't the Democrats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, chickens are coming home to roost all over the place, and, and this session has, has set up a, a scenario where North Dakota down the road is going to regret not uh, setting things aside the way that they were intended. Uh, it, it is where those of us who supported creating the legacy fund now are already talking about maybe we need to do another constitutional measure to, to prevent the legislature from squandering it because we they're essentially locked out of the principle unless there's a massive decline in, in the economy. But, you know, maybe we need to lock up 75% of the earnings as well so that, that that fund can grow and be there when we need it. Interesting. Interesting times. So overall, for the energy industry, how'd, how'd it go? I mean, from a, from a regulation standpoint, was it pro-industry? And then from a uh, PR standpoint, what do you think? Well, I mean, as far as the industry getting what industry thinks it wants, it's done very well. And that's, and that's usually, you know, as long as I've been involved, the energy industry gets 94% of what it wants from the North Dakota legislature. And I would say that this time around is no different. Uh, now, whether what it thinks it wants is actually good for it or the entire state or the entire economy, that's another question. Totally uh, agree with you, by the way. And, and let's let's pause for a second. That's why I asked you about the PR stuff, because what I've been trying to educate people for the last two years is that the general public is regulating the industry now because w- the oil and gas industry had a very good relationship with the government for 20, 30 years. In fact, a lot of government, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of oil and gas departments were called government affairs. Okay, that's how, I mean, yeah, there's, not a, there's not a lot of other companies that have departments called government affairs, okay? So, it, it, and, and, you know, for, for, I'm not here to judge that. I'm here to say that's what happened. So, they were used to having this very close working relationship. And you know what? To be honest, maybe that was good. And maybe that, because when you have 96% of, your daily life relying on oil and gas products. Well, sometimes hard decisions need to be made and greater good, blah, 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 right? Okay, so whatever. That's that's neither here nor there. Because where we're at today is Greta Thunberg and her army of acolytes run the show. And whoever, you know, whoever came up with the uh, Senate Bill 181 in Colorado runs the show. And the, the, these can come out of nowhere. I live in Fargo. I mean, I talked to somebody the other day. They own a coffee shop. They're from western North Dakota and eastern Montana. The guy worked for an oil company for 10 years. His wife is from Williston. Her parents still live there. When they first moved to Fargo 8, 10 years ago, no, 8 years ago, they were really proud about being from western North Dakota and working in the oil patch. Well, then they got the Fargo wrinkle. They call it the... Uh, wrinkling of the nose, the Fargo wrinkle, you know. I called it the, you know, Bo- Fort Collins boulder, look over your shoulder before you 
say you work in oil and gas, they got the kind of the you. And so I, pe- people in the West don't know that. They don't feel that every day, you know, that you can't even say what industry you work in because you're now the new dirty, you know, dirty ilk of society. Well, you're the new leper. You're the new smoker. I've been, that's what I've been trying to tell people, you know, you're big tobacco now, but anyway, uh, that's, yeah. that, that, that's where I was coming from. What did, what did you mean by that? I guess. Well, it, it's been my experience. And, and the example that I would point to is, uh, in, in these, in these hearings, uh, regarding the coal industry, uh, what we heard from the power utilities like Minkota was that uh, they need a carbon market, a, car- a carbon tax, or not, like, some sort of a carbon market where they, like a stock market. And, you know, 10 years ago, all of these power, coal and oil, everybody was all against that. You know, it was, they were, it was cap and trade. Now, They've gotten to the point where they now are for it because their business model requires it because they want to they want to have a value to the carbon and both on the negative and the positive side. So, you know, industry thinks that it knows what it wants one day, and ten years later, it wants the opposite. Uh, that's what I meant by that. Is is that the the, the reactionary opposition to these things? eventually flips when the bean counters get involved because the bean counters are the ones that actually know where to go, what's going on. And, you know, they know that, Hey, we need something like this to work. It would help us. And all of this, it's just, you know, it just goes to show that no matter what a, a, a business is, is for publicly, that's not necessarily what they're for privately. And, you're also seeing, and this is a much larger topic that, that I don't know if you've gotten into in the past, but big business is becoming uh, more aligned with the Democrats than Republicans because the biggest enemy of big business is small business. And if you have big business that wants to grow, the best thing for them is for higher minimum wages, higher benefit requirements, and higher taxes. Big businesses can handle those three things. Small businesses can't. So what, so what party is for those three things? Democrats. So eventually big businesses are going to get more and more publicly aligned with Democrats in order to push the small businesses out. Because a lot of these businesses, these large businesses, are capped on how big they can grow as long as there are some or any small businesses competing with them. So Big business is going to be more considered a Democratic thing than a Republican thing because they want to use the power of government to get rid of their competition. Interesting. Very, very interesting that, stuff. That, that's a, that is a big, big topic that is going around in certain circles right now. It's, it's not really a mainstream discussion point yet, but in 10 years, it'll be obvious that you know, companies like Walmart Amazon, uh, you know, Kohl's, Target, they're all for $15 minimum wage because they can afford it. It's, it's the guy, the little shop on Main Street, they can't afford it. There's no question who, about they're trying to squeeze out the small business. They're trying to they're trying to hemorrhage them out on the vine with the, you know, the $1,200 Biden buck and 
Trump bucks or whatever you want to call it, while the big guys yep. get paid out first. Oh yeah, this is this is by design. I mean, what's really irritating for a lot of people, like in that I've been hearing, because there's a lot of people leaving North Dakota. I've actually I've talked to a half a dozen owners of companies that have moved down to Texas because they think there'll be maybe three, four operators by the end of the year in North Dakota, and that's it because it'll just be, yeah. Just that's that's the way that's the way it's going because the government's controlling the marketplace so much, and now that they're opening up tax dollars to get uh, you know mission to management, uh, flaring taken care of, all these guys that have been busting their ass for the last ten years, trying to get companies to bite and trying to get the state to give them money, this and that. Well, now the state's coming back with the companies they've handpicked to educate them on how to do it. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. When, when, when they're using your knowledge and your ideas back at you to try to say, now we're going to tell you how to do it and use your money too, that's really frustrating. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and we see that time and again. That, that- oh, it's ruthless. It's just flat-out ruthless, really. But sorry, I get passionate. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, we're, we are living through the greatest political realignment since the 30s and 40s right now. Uh, things in 10 years, you and I will not recognize the parties that are in, that are that exist. That uh, the the alliances and the coalitions are, are going to be all different. There's, there's there's fiscal conservatives will have no party. Uh, the business. Big business will be uh, Democrat. Small business will be Republican. Uh, and and then you have the populists. If, if the populist groups stay in control, they're going to be able to team up with the Democrats to, to do certain things that are populist. And you're going to see things going in directions that we would have never imagined 10 years ago. Like the... The exact opposite of what the Tea Party was about is what we're going to see. I think right now what the communists, China went through, and I'm being totally serious when I say this, and I'm not being a tinfoil hat person or anything along those lines. What I think is happening right now is when communist China went through their essential workers era, when they when, when, when they were identified, this is a true story, folks. Look it up. Essential workers, that's what they were called in China. I'm sorry, Russia, Russia. When Russia was going through their communist and um, communism, they were identifying what the essential workers were. But over there, they were identifying the trades, you know, the the grocery store worker, the cheese maker, the the plumber. You know, those were the type of essential workers they were identifying. I think that they know it now. Now they're identifying who the essential workers are. Okay, that guy, he does whatever we say. He keep paying him a good salary no matter what happens. Because it's we, we live in a day and age where merit doesn't matter anymore. Like take North Face, for example. Um, that's a popular one for oil and gas. So North Face is out refusing business because an oil and gas company wanted a couple hundred, you know, jackets. Well, if, if you're in a pandemic and you can be picky and choosy about business times are good 
especially if you're getting yeah. bailed out by the government and the government's okay with it. We're, we're in a day and age where the government is just going to bail out the too big to fail and the people that they want to, to give the money to. And that's what I mean. Like, it's like they're picking the essential workers and then the rest of us can just go work minimum wage because that's, yeah. that's what it's there for. Go, go. Well, I'm telling you pretty soon. That's the next wave next year. I already predicted it. I got on my oil drum as the shale play profit and predicted it. Next year, there, there, there's going to be a kind of a big underbelly sh- uh, shaming campaign that small business owners who are bitching about, you know, not getting their 15th uh, government stimulus for 100 grand um, are, uh, are a million bucks or whatever it might be. Why they just don't go work at Costco. Why they just don't go d- drive Uber Eats. There's a ton of jobs out there. Well, trust me, they're, they're going to be advertising how many jobs are out there. What they're not going to tell you is that they're $15 an hour jobs, which in today's day and age is minimum wage. Right, right. And that's how it's always been. I mean, North Dakota has been bragging about 30,000 jobs for the last 15 years. And, you know, uh, those jobs, they don't, number one, a lot of those are duplicates that they count like seven times. They, they're going by listings, not actual jobs. A lot of them are just uh, companies that are accepting resumes but not actually hiring people. And then the rest of them are low-end, menial jobs that are not for people with educations, and, and or at least not in the old days where, where for people with education. Now, you know, if, if you're if, if you get a bachelor's degree and you're out of college, you're supposed to be happy that you got a ten dollar an hour job. And, and that's just not how it was sold to everybody that, you know, you, you could, when I was in high school in the late nineties, uh, we were told you would, you will never amount to anything unless you have that four year degree. Well, there's no jobs for those people unless they're very specialized, you know, unless you're an accountant in the tax business, there's plenty of jobs for them, but for the rest of the society, if you just got a regular old degree, uh, you're kind of uh, SOL. Well, you're behind the eight ball. It's definitely keeping you behind when you're making your student loan payments for 20 years and trying to, you know, just basically do a job that you could have got right out of high school anyways. That's a, yeah, that's a whole different podcast for a different day and interview and this and that. So, well, how can people uh, get in uh, touch with you if they want to give you a tip because I know you like to get tips as a, I don't know if you do a whistleblower hotline or anything like that, but I know you like to get tips and I know you also like to get tips in terms of money. So how can people uh, sponsor you and make sure that you get, you get paid for the good work you do there with the North Dakota watchdog network. They can check out our website at watchingnd.com. They can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we do have a tip line, uh, button on for, for both donations and issues. Uh, if you know of something that's going on, let us know. I've got about six things that came through my uh, inbox over the legislative session that, that uh, I haven't been able to act on. One of them from our friend Mike uh, that i got to get after uh, here pretty quick. And, uh, yeah, there's always work. You know, politicians and government, they, they – there's no lack of work when it comes to keeping an eye on them. 